Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Ruckers. Welcome to the Rugby Podcast from the Times and Sunday Times. We have so much to talk about today as the Autumn Nations Cup heads towards finals weekend and the climax, or anti-climax as it probably will be, of the international year. England will play France or a team dressed up as France because Fabien Galtier cannot field any of his frontline players. We'll be joined later by Iltu David from AFP to discuss that. I'm back from Clenethley where England won again, Wales lost again and the patience of so many devoted rugby followers finally snapped. What does it say about rugby as a sport when teams would rather not have the ball? Ben Ryan is here to pick apart the issues facing rugby. And Lawrence Delio joins us as usual, having seen London Irish christen their new home with a win in what has been a very interesting start to the Premiership season. So with all that to discuss and lots more, welcome to The Ruck. How are you guys? Good morning, Alex. Very great to uh, join you after another Feast of international rugby. <laughs> is, that what we call, is, that, is that what we call it these days? I mean, it's... Uh, been, I mean, There's it's not, lots of it. It's just not very nourishing. It's not been a great year, is it, really? In just generally. And I don't, I don't think the rugby's added a huge amount. It, I think there's lot, there is mitigation. You know, they're launching a new tournament, the Autumn Nations Cup. Uh, they, ha- they still haven't finished the old tournament, the Six Nations, and a, and a whole host of other games. Um, you know, the backdrop of which is a global pandemic. No fans in the stadiums. Um, no one really knows what channel to, to watch it on. So I, I don't think it's, it's had the best start, that's for sure. Um, but we, we were thinking we might get the best finish with, um, with two teams you know, in England and France playing against each other in the final, quite, quite rightly, quite deservedly. But I mean, I was in Paris when England lost comfortably to the French um, at least on the pitch, if not the scoreboard. So really, I was looking forward to that game, but obviously the news that, that's, that's filtered through yesterday is obviously pretty damaging, really, and pretty disappointing. feels like we're in a position where the rugby politicians have, have got involved again, and after, as we wrote in the paper today, all the promise of this being the 95 moment and, and everyone coming together, we're now going to have a game that's undermined by the absence of, of the star French players. Uh, we'll discuss that when Iltu joins us shortly. Ben, what do you make of rugby at the moment? Is it too boring? I'm having friends of mine who've grown up playing and uh, being obsessed by rugby union, saying that they actually found that the Super League playoffs much more entertaining. I kind of, I started about, I don't know, maybe a year a year ago, really 
banging on about um, the clear outs at the ruck and how dangerous it was. So I went from thinking the game was too dangerous to thinking the game was too boring. And now I just think it's kind of dangerously boring, really, because we're, <laughs> we're losing we're losing people wanting to watch the game because of what's happening, really. You know, just even the diehards aren't enjoying, can't surely be enjoying what we're watching. No, and so we spoke to Eddie Jones after the England game and he... He sort of gave up any any pretense that this was anything that he was enjoying. He was frustrated with England's attacking paucity of their of their attacking game, but but he was frustrated in general. I think with the way that the game is. He talked of when he played of of, of eight forwards hitting the ruck, so there were only seven defenders, and now there are fourteen defenders. There's no reward for for holding the ball anymore. It's too much of a risk to hold the ball. Ben Young's talked of you know when you when you make a line break, that's when you actually you're, you're most vulnerable because. You don't have enough men near you to, to clear out. Where have we got to in rugby where where it's a game where you don't want the ball rather than when you do want the ball? Well, I, I agree I agree with you, Alex, as well. I mean, I, I, you know, it's pretty clear. I can't believe in my heart, and I'm sure Ben would agree, that players and coaches necessarily want to play this way. But a lot of people who understand the sport will say, well, it's a results-driven business. So they'll, they'll find a way, whatever the laws of the game and however they're constructed, they'll find a way to, to win. And I get that and I understand that. But at the moment, maybe the laws are constructed in such a way, as, as he said, that it's you're better off without the ball. I mean, for England to make nearly 250 tackles against Ireland and win the game comfortably, and yet Ireland made barely 50, I mean, I mean that, you can't have much fun just, you know, I mean, yes, occasionally it's quite nice to defend, but you, you can't really enjoy that, can you, surely? I mean, there has to be a bit more balance. And then, of course, the flip side, England had tons of possession against Wales uh, and didn't do a huge amount with it. And... Uh, I think Eddie Jones is clearly, he's obviously quite scientific sometimes with his approach. He, he would have done huge amounts of work and, and recognised that if you do kick the ball, uh, you've got a better chance of winning. Otherwise, he wouldn't play like that, I'm sure, just just because he thinks it's good. Ben, the makeup of cricket is is about balance between bat and ball. And it has to be right, otherwise test cricket doesn't work. The same would apply in test rugby and it would appear that we've got the balance horribly wrong. Why do you think that's happened and where do you think the issues lie? I think there's a couple, there's a couple of things worth chatting about. One is is England specific maybe, and how they've decided to uh, play post World Cup, and then uh, and from there, and then there's the global game and, and what's happening. But we did also then the third thing we did also talk about this before we got on the podcast that you can back, you can talk about all the various law well the law clarifications really they're not law changes uh, law for, which has made it harder harder to attack apparently. But it's all, there's also a mindset there because this doesn't happen on every occasion and we are seeing teams that are wanting to play. I think with England, firstly, post-World Cup, they would have had a wash-up a wash up that would have been you know, forensic and they would look to everything. And from that, then you, get, you gather all your information to a point where you then plan what you're going to do next. And then you, you base those plans on, right, how much pace are you going to do to implement those plans? How quickly are you going to get those plans and how much risk are you going to take? on what your plan's going to look like. And they've gone down the low-risk, kick-chase territory between the 10s and, and, and suffocate, really. And and it, 99 ball carries at the weekend, I think they only offloaded three of those. So it shows they can get the ball in hand, but then they don't want to offload it. There's nothing to stop them doing that. And I think the global change has been that, that it's a little bit harder to clear out now because laws are being applied. So you can't just rock it off your feet and clear out. And that's good. So you you need to then stay on your feet a little bit more in attack. You need to um, be a bit cleverer. You need to also mitigate line speed. And you do that by creating depth. 
you know, if you're playing flat against a, a line speed, well, you're only going to be one income and uh, one outcome. That's going to be that's going to be lots of collisions. So I've seen, you know, you, you drop off, you play with depth, you be a bit cleverer. Um, Eddie's comment about, you know, the eight, eight around the ruck. I mean, he coached the Brumbies when they they started the pod systems around four and fours and stuff like that. So that's not entirely correct. I can see that, um, like as Lawrence said, I don't think it's the coaches or the players that are driving any of this, but they they could change their mindset. And it's a shame, really, in a competition that I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm not bothered who wins it on at the weekend particularly. They could have experimented and actually stuck to what they want to do because as an England group, we can play any game you want to play. We've got the quality of player. You're not held back by the quality or what you want to do on the field with the players coming through. So for us then to play this type of game, it's a disappointment, really, that that's happening. Um, and then the wider game is, it's a shame that people aren't just having their mindset of a bit more risk. So much data hanging around as well now that's leading to decisions and not the feel of the game, which is something probably Lawrence will understand far more than I will. But, but it's, it's that feel that seems to have disappeared. Yeah. And also the element of being spontaneous and, the, and the, the element of surprise. I mean, England have got it in their locker. And as of all sides, we cast our minds back to the opening line-out against Ireland in Dublin a little while ago when they just threw one straight over the top. If we think, uh, cast our mind back to um, you know, the, the semi-final against the All Blacks where they, they played you know, in a very different way to how the All Blacks expected them to. Every side overanalyzes each other. Sides kick off one way because they know that they put pressure on the on a, on a kicker's weaker foot by doing that. You know, all these things are, are analysed, and therefore, why not do things that that, that confront and surprise the, your opponent in a different way? Why not use one of their big strengths and and maybe maybe pinch one of their moves and run their move against them? Because often sides are not very good at attacking the things that they're really good at themselves, or defending rather than things they're good at themselves. I, I just think that kind of slightly maverick ability to make decisions have them in your armory you know by all means be predictable for for long periods of the game but then throw in something that people don't expect because then you you the game will open up ever so slightly and i just think the players for whatever reason have lost the the, the, the ability to do that and it, you know and it's brilliant when it happens because everyone who's watching at home and all the commentators go wow what you know i haven't seen that before and that was amazing you know and i, I just think there's you know, we, we need to continue to have that ability to think on our feet. To add to that, like tr- if training looks like what we're watching as well, that's only going to that's only going to depress everybody that's stepping onto the field. And if they do start to put a bit more ingenuity around what they're trying to do, give a bit more empowerment to the players to let them come up with things, because set piece still is restricting, you know, what the defence can do, because they've got to have eight players in the scrum, for example, and you can have a full line out. There's opportunity there to make line breaks there and be really different, like, Lawrence's example in that Ireland game but I'm not seeing it I'm not seeing it anywhere France are tickling around with it at the moment and I think they're the ones that have probably been the most improved and, and, and are trying things a little bit more but even so we're still not seeing that and I think Ben you know I'm not having a go at England I wrote in my in a column yesterday in the Times I think there's a huge amount of you know as England fans we can be very happy with when it you know since Eddie Jones has taken over the improvement of the team steadily I mean if you look at the basics you know the set piece and I think that, you know, have we improved since the World Cup? Well, 
we don't know yet because we haven't come up against the South Africa at scrum time. But, you know, our set piece against Wales and Ireland, I mean, we, we, we destroyed both of those teams at set piece. Our defensively, I think we're, we're very, very solid at the moment. So the foundations of England's game are, are in excellent shape. No doubt about that. You know, we kicked poorly at the weekend. Um, so it probably exacerbated the issue. But the biggest problem, and it's, and it's not just happened in the last weekend, is has always been England's attacking game. And, and Eddie Jones has said this for a while. You know, he, he sort of canvassed it and earmarked it at the beginning. He said, the hardest thing to, to put in place is your attacking game. And he's absolutely right. Bar the game against New Zealand, you know, we haven't seen an awful lot. I just wonder, and I'd, I'd ask Ben this question, are, are, they, are they missing Scott Wisemantle? You know, are they missing uh, an ideas man? Are they missing someone who is prepared to question Eddie a little bit and, and say, well, why, don't we, why don't we try and challenge our attacking game a little bit more? Because I think every other part of England's game is in, is in very, very good shape. You could almost say probably right up there with the best teams in the world, apart from their attacking game. And I, and I would have thought post-World Cup, this was a really good opportunity, actually, without the fear of failure, to really just give it a go and do something a bit different. And instead... We, we don't seem to have done that. No, I, I think Scott probably is, is being missed, really, for the example, for the reasons you gave. You know, they brought Simon Amor in, and, and on paper you think, well, that's a sevens coach coming in for the attack. But Simon, when he coached the sevens, he was as pragmatic a sevens coach as you were likely to find. So he almost, you know, he, he took away that risk from the, from the sevens team. So it's not a surprise that, that they're playing with, they're not, they're not looking that exciting. And also they haven't got anyone that's prepared to stand up and, and tell Eddie that this is what they want to take the odd risk. They want to empower the players a bit more. They want to do things that other teams aren't doing. Um, and, and I'm with Lawrence. There's loads of stuff that's, that's going on well on their foundations. But the attack is a massive disappointment when you look at the, the, the guys that they could select and they currently have. And what we're doing, because I think, you know, I don't know if you mentioned it in your column, Lawrence, but you talked... To the point almost where you could have a back rower in that back line now. It wouldn't make the blindest bit of difference really to their creativity and what they're trying to do. And to underuse someone like Slade, who, who's a quality 13, well, a midfield or 10, you know, you can play him anywhere. He can line break, he can he can distribute and he can communicate. Um, we're just not doing enough with that. So, yeah, that that's the one kind of black cross against the England game at the moment. It's just their inability. And Alex, to I think Eddie, Eddie Jones, when you spoke to him, when you finally got allowed into the press conference, was uh, was uh, <laughs> almost said the same, didn't he? I mean, he's he, he sort of frustrated with England's attacking game. He's talked about this weekend against France. Obviously now with the selection, it's probably not, but he talks about this being England's grand final. Um, let's, hope he, let's hope they play a bit more like the, the teams in the grand final and we'll all be happy. Yeah, so Lawrence's comment about me being let in was because my Zoom name was still a stupid comedy quiz team name and the RFU didn't know who I was and <laughs> wouldn't let me in. Uh, yeah, no, he, 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 for the first time he expressed a frustration about the lack of fluency in England's, in England's attacking game. How, you know, when George Ford made a break, it was too, everyone else was too slow to get there and, and there was a turnover. Talking to Ben Youngs yesterday, he didn't hide his frustration very well either. And it is interesting on the coaching front to, to sort of notice that that it's Jason Riles who's getting all the name checks from the players at the moment about the detail he's trying to bring in. Jason Riles only joined the coaching team full-time a couple of weeks ago, having helped Melbourne Storm win the uh, NRL title. And, and, and he's the one who's getting name checked for, for trying to, to piece some details together in, in attack. And, and if we take what Ben Youngs was, was sort of suggesting, a, you know, a frustration and an understanding that this isn't really how they want to play the game. You said it's probably not the coaches or, 
or the players driving this. So therefore, it's it's the laws. And I just wonder whether we should have a chat about what what might change, what could change, what would need to change, because that's where the conversation is now going. We had Ben Kay in, in the Times on on Saturday coming up with a few ideas that he thinks should should come in to, to free things up. Stuart Barnes has written a couple more radical ideas in in the paper today, including the, the idea that I think was used in, in the breakaway tournament in, in, in the Southern Hemisphere where you'd get more points if you score from further out. Both Ben and, and Stuart were, were talking about different ideas, but but kicking strategies that that would force defending teams to drop players back. And the 50-22 kick is being trialled at the moment. And and the idea behind that is that if, if you can benefit from kicking straight into, into touch by getting the line out, the defending team have to drop players back and it creates more space. I don't know, what, what do you think, Ben, on law tweaks, law changes? Is that where this ultimately needs to go? I think the guiding principle around all of this is anything we put in as the law changes got to make the game safer and make the game simpler. And, and if we have even more laws that make it even harder to, for people to come into the game and understand it, we're, we're going down a road I don't think it's going to be a good one. So I think there's laws that need to be upheld and clarified, you know, and, we, and staying on your feet at the breakdown, um, not coming in from the side, you know, stuff like that. And we and we still not seeing that being being played. You watch the All Blacks game at the weekend against Argentina. There are plenty of off feet, side entrance, all sorts of things going on. Um, and then it is that mindset. It's, it's then right over to the coaches and the players. You got to, you've got to keep the ball alive a little bit more. You've got there's going to be a risk element to the play, and you're not going to have to rely on your your data analysts to tell you when you're supposed to turn the ball. You know have a counter-attack and things like that. And I, and I, so I wouldn't be going down that, that, that road. I think we need to, as coaches and as players, to go, right, well, there's another way to do this. You know, great, someone's put line speed on us. Okay, we're going to find a way to get around this without having to kick the ball 50 times in a game. When Eddie was asked, I think at the start of the championship, about his midfield ideas, and, and he, he said that for the first time in his coaching career, he's moving away from his philosophy of wanting to play a fly half at, at 12. He did it on, on Saturday, but he says he's having to rethink his philosophy. Yeah. And the reason for that was he gave was, was the line speed and the rush defence has changed the dynamic between the 10, 12, 13, that now 12 and 13 are, are no longer a partnership. They're just running backs and you know they, they interchange. And he he's now edging away from you know, that model. If you think about the Australia team that you played against, Lawrence, that, that would have had... You know, Larkham and Flatley and, and Gitto playing 10-12. He's had Ford and Farrell has been his mainstay selection, borrowing the odd the odd tweak over his time. And he's now talking about moving away from creativity because because mm-hmm. line speed doesn't allow it. And as we were saying earlier, seems that's where the balance is wrong between attack and defence. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a challenge as a coach, isn't there, to construct a game that unpicks defences. But I, I still think it allows you to be spontaneous. I mean, I don't think... Just going back to your, the selections, Farrell, um, I don't think we get the best out of Farrell when he's playing 12. So, you know, yes, you can pick George Ford at 10 and, and Farrell at 12, but why not change them around? You know, because I think England attacking-wise are much better when it's the other way around, actually, in attack, for instance. But the way Eddie's talking, wh- why not play one of your extra back rowers in this, at 12 then, if that's what you want? You know, I mean, you've got the skill set. I mean, Clive Woodward used to say, if you want to play in England's back row, you've got to have... Hands like a centre. So uh, play him in the centre. Why not? Leave Slade at 13. Don't move him into 12. So there's no reason why number eight has to stay at number eight all the time. If there's a really more dynamic, but you know, I don't believe when a polar is that dynamic off the base of scrum anymore.
or a couple of the other guys either side may have scored that try at the weekend. So why not put them in at number eight, you know, when it gets close to the line? Because what it does is it makes your opponent think differently about how to defend because suddenly they're, they're slightly confused. They're slightly kind of w- wondering whether something, you know, England have got something up their sleeve. And with regard to the, to, to the, to the laws, uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally with, with Ben. We've, we've got to make sure that we continue to police the existing laws, the offside close to the breakdown, you know, people coming in at the side, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, rugby union is one of the most complicated technical games you will ever face. I mean, broadcasters, players, coaches deserve a lot of credit because when you're trying to explain the game, it is really hard for people who have never watched it. So what we have to remember is if you make ever so slight tweaks to the law, it, it, it can have massive impacts on the game. But I do think the time has come to, you know, I, I mean, safety is paramount, making the game more enjoyable. Are we in the results-driven business or are we in the entertainment business? Because at the moment, everyone is obsessed with winning and results, but the entertaining is, is just not happening. So I think there are things that can, can change. I would advocate the, the clock stopping at scrum time so that we can get a bit more dynamism in the game and, and maybe a bit more fatigue in the game. I would advocate looking at the substitutions. Have we got that right? The front row obviously remains ring fence because of safety, but is there other things we can introduce to, you know, maybe rolling subs or, or because this, this idea that half a team are replaced with, with 20 minutes to go is, is crazy, I think. You know, so there's no fatigue element. And unfortunately, the, the, the caterpillar ruck has become the new kind of reset scrum. It's a, it's a blight on the game. I don't agree with it. I think that has to, has to be sped up somehow. Maybe you get five seconds, and if you don't kick it, it's a penalty against you. Do something with it. So I, I do think there are one or two things that we need to tweak in the game, but I wouldn't go absolutely crazy because... We have to remember, if you change things in the game, it has a massive impact as well. You're listening to The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and Sunday Times. Don't miss out on our flash sale. Subscribe to The Times and Sunday Times with 50% off for six months. The sale ends at midnight on Monday the 30th of November. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash The Ruck online. Joining us now from Paris is Ilte David. The, uh, have I pronounced that correctly? Yes. Well the uh, uh, rugby reporter for the AFP. Kind of, we've got lifted on because, as we were just discussing earlier, the Autumn Nations Cup final between England and France will be undermined by by the fact that France are fielding second and third string players, club country rows going on. So we thought, who better to sort of fill us in on on, on the background to it and and the reasons why than um, than the man on the ground. So could you just explain to us why this has happened, how this has happened? Yeah. So originally, as was a plan regarding World Rugby, there would only be three tests for France this November against uh, Australia, Georgia and South Africa. But due to COVID uh, and the coronavirus pandemic, that was cancelled. So they thought we'd bring out a new competition in the Autumn Nations Cup. But then also they had the um, Six Nations finale to finish off against Ireland. And then before that, they wanted a little warm-up just in case so they'd get well into that. So that was six games instead of the original three. The top four team clubs were very unhappy with that. They said we'd be happy enough to do it, but we'd only want five games. The F- French Federation and Fabien Galtier Head coach was keen on six to get that Wales game just in because he felt it was quite important to keep it. And then there was a lot of to and froing, talking, a bit of mud being thrown in, in newspapers, etc., etc. And then they decided, okay, you can keep your six games, but you can only, the top 14 players you use, you, they can only feature on three match sheets. So that's not three games, that's not 
380 minutes. That's three matches. So there's some players, someone like Baptiste Saha, who captained France last week. Okay, he played the whole game match again, but only played 10 minutes beforehand. And now everyone who's played, everyone who's featured on those three matches have gone back to their clubs. Someone like Antoine Dupal, the fantastic scrum half, he was rested for Toulouse last week. I don't know if that, if that was Toulouse coach Hugo Mola sticking his middle finger up at France, or it was just him actually resting up. Antoine Dupal has played quite a bit of rugby since the restart. And yeah, now that comes to the end of this weekend. We will have the Autumn Nations Cup final with France travelling to Tokenham with pretty much a third string side. Does that make it very dangerous then? I mean, if I, if I was mischievous as a coach, and I know Galtier can be mischievous, but this is a really interesting fixture now because England will go full ball. They'll go with their best side. France, second slash third team, uh, not expected necessarily to win or even to be able to compete with England. Galtier's already called them the best team in the world while South Africa are not playing. I mean, as a coach, you might just say, listen, let's just go out there and run everything. Run absolutely everything. You know, let's just risk everything because we've got nothing to lose instead of just going there and playing the way that every international team is, is currently playing. Do you, do you think he's got that in his mindset? Yeah, Gatti said that England are possibly the best team in the world. So he was a bit, he wasn't 100% sure what he was saying. But no, um, you're totally right there, Lawrence. France have got nothing to lose. They've got everything to win. They've got a First tournament potentially, it's in 2010. Galti said that he just wants his team to win games, win trophies. And if he does that on the weekend, then superb. But realistically, it's going to be a tough task. And so the team he'll pick will probably have around 120 caps between them when England will have touching on 700. Could be more. I think England had over 800 in, on Saturday. Um, it was their most experienced team of all time. So on, on that front, it will be a, a mismatch. It, it, we were talking earlier on the pod, Ben. Ben Ryan was saying that he's he's not really fussed who wins this tournament. It's it sort of failed to capture the imagination. We we've just spent half an hour talking about the the quality uh, or, or lack of quality of, of the rugby on on show. This team selection from France would just would undermine the final. What's the reaction to it in in France? Is everyone up in arms about the fact that France will field a weakened team? Are, are they just are they just bored of of all the rows between the LNR and the FFR? French rugby and politics, clubby country rows happen quite a bit. It's happened for decades and decades, ever since the sport turned professional, realistically. But uh, Bernard Laporte, the French president, he was coach of that famous Toulon side, which won three European Cups. Fabien Galtier played for France and also coached Toulon and Montpellier. So both of them know what it's like to be a domestic coach and also to be involved in the international setup. But then what the public want, they just want to watch France playing. And what helps a bit is that uh, all France games during this a campaign have been on terrestrial television on the contrary to what's happened in the UK that helps so people just watch France whatever happens yeah there's no fans so it's quite difficult South of France is a bizarre place with eight, without the 80,000 mad French people going crazy in the stands but um, the French the French people they've kind of they have got on the board because uh, France are winning and they're happy to see Galtier's team doing well there's individuals in there who are really coming out uh, Anton Dupont is an absolute superstar probably one of the best scrubs in the world uh, Roman Dantamak is also doing really well at fly half it's a, it's a big shame we won't get to see them uh, this weekend but then the other side of that is French are very regionally based and they're very proud of their towns and with their towns that comes the top 14 clubs so okay someone might even say that Baptiste Pezoncy who's playing second row he's a Pollock made his first cap last weekend I asked him after the game on Saturday, oh, did you watch the England game uh, this afternoon? He said, no, I was watching Poe. Why? So his focus was, was in the club and that's what it's like across everyone is that, okay, they're very proud and they want to watch France but at the same time, the clubs are so proud of that. And there's a few players from the, the France 7s team who've, who've graduated into that 
into the yeah. test team who made their debuts at the weekend. You you do some work with them. You, you know them. Are there are there any names who you can discuss ahead of next weekend to actually shed some light on this this France team? Because the last time we saw them, they beat England in Paris, and as, as Iltu said, full of superstars: Olivon, Aldrit, Dupont, and Tamac. And this team, apart from one or two, will, will be totally unfamiliar. Yeah, I, I, I'm still a consultant with the French, but I, you know, not being able to get over there. But I do get sent all their video of training, so I, I get I've been watching their training sessions for the last uh, month or so, and they've been integrating the seven squad as kind of like um, defence or attack, or just acting as opposition. And from that, a couple of the boys have have made it into the to the starting side. I spoke to JP Barak. Um, just before the Italy game, he played at 13. He's just super excited about playing for France and thinking, you know, if he can have a good game, then he he stands a chance of getting selected next week against England. And and it's Gabs Villiers scored a great try on the wing. He was um, outstanding in the French sevens team, probably one of the best sevens players on the circuit full stop and then went to play at Toulon. And he's he's a serious player. You know, he's going to, he's a good player, scored a great try against Italy at the weekend. And they've got, I think the, the opportunity for France is just greater on what they can get out of this tournament, even though that there's there's this um, inability to field their best side against England. They've got the chance to, to unearth one or two players that might end up on the other side of it being genuine contenders for a French test shirt. And, and also you get to see people like Wapke, who's just, you know, he's a fantastic player, like great. And, and you know, he could he could certainly be in the mix for any of the sides um, in their back row starting side. So I think France will, will will gallop into this game thinking, well, you know, they've got nothing to lose. They're playing the, the old enemy and they'll give it everything. And, and you know, Sean has shored up the defence now. It's far more solid. And, and I think they have a much more better structure. They've also got a new S&C coach in there that's also adding a lot of credibility, really, to what they're doing around the team. You know, there's more consistency in what they're doing, more intensity in training. And so if you look at everybody that's come out of the World Cup, who's come out in the best, you've got to say, really, what the French backroom staff now and the emergence of the halfbacks of France. I know they're not playing the weekend, but they're probably the, they're probably the, the, the team that's had it, the biggest added value. And, and what's fascinating with that, Ben, is, is how this France team progresses now because you know to win a world cup you've got to be the fittest side in the world i think the challenge for french rugby has always been that link between the the ffr and and the clubs themselves and are the players prepared to to maybe change their lifestyle change the way that they that they address themselves uh, to prepare for international rugby um you know clearly there's one or two clubs that are supremely professional in france uh, but there's a there's a whole lot that have got a lot of catching up to do particularly on the snc side that strength and conditioning, the fitness. And I don't think any side will win a World Cup unless you're right up there amongst the fittest nations. And I think they have they have found a core of players now who could take them forward. And it's it, they're a fascinating watch, France, over the next few years, I think, in terms yeah. of whether they can truly step up to to the level that they need to to win a World Cup in their own country. And it's, in, it's, it's interesting, Alex, talking about that. You know, I remember the S&C coaches, when the test team would come into Marcusi to have training camp, and they'd look at them and go like this this lot are just nowhere near the intensity to play test match rugby but the window was too small to influence that so they ended up having to do less in training and it just it just was a a constant cycle of um not getting them to the right level and that is gradually changing with the appointment of the snc and this relationship between the the top four team where they're going into the clubs they're spending time with them there's a there's an education piece around it um, and they've got, like Lawrence said, they've got the 23 World Cup and they've got the 24 Olympics. 
where they expect to win gold medals in the men's and women's sevens and 23, the, the World Cup. And on the back of that, they've got this age group team that's come, come through from three or four years ago that won back-to-back World Cups and they are being, they're at their peak. So you could argue that everything is there for France to stuff up, really. It's all, it's all set up nicely for them. <laughs> What's the sense of excitement over in, in, in France about the development of this team, how far they've come this year? And I guess supplementary to that, we look at the at Sean Edwards' recruitment and, and sort of see him as, see his imprint already on, on some of what, what France were doing, particularly when we think back to the, the, the Six Nations. Firstly, with Sean Edwards and Fabien Galtier had a blitz defence when he was back in the Pelé coach in 2012, 2013. So Edwards hasn't totally revolutionised how they want to defend because Galtier was involved with the setup during the World Cup and he kind of slowly brought that in. But what Edwards has brought in is just has been the French like to talk, they like to discuss things. But what Edwards does, because his French is quite basic, it's just three or four words in a session. This A, B, C, D, you do this, do that, and it's done. And then they follow through. And it's he's also brought a lot of intensity. You see how quickly they come off the line, how they all defend as a unit. There's not much laziness. There's no one like, oh, happy enough, or that's a tackle, let them go. And that's Edwards's imprint to a certain extent. And also how intense Galtier is, and also Thibaut Giraud, who's the head of strength and condition. Galtier and Jules a pair are very, very, very intense, but it seems to be working. When it comes to the French public, they're just really enjoying seeing France win for the first time in I don't know how long. If they win on Saturday, they'll, they'll go eight games, eight wins from nine if you count the Fiji game as well, which is an impressive stat for any team in the world rugby, really. And also, considering they haven't won a title since 2010, that's on the horizon, which is a nice thing. And the way they're playing as well, it's not just grinding out games in a way that, I don't know, maybe Toulon did when they win those uh, Champ- Champions Cup titles where it was quite big pack and then you had Brian Obama maybe finish off a few tries when the game had already been, already been won. It's really a bit of French flair's back, like keeping mid-Olympic, kind of saying that it's on the way back, especially after they hammered, hammered Ireland a few weeks ago and just so clinical when they got the chance on the, on the counter-attack they scored. And there's a big, there is a bit of a buzz around this France team. It's not just because of the way they play, it's also because of the individuals and how, how there's youngsters playing there looking ahead to the 2023 World Cup where these guys are going to stay together for the next, not just one World Cup, two years, but maybe a third World Cup. So there is a big generation here. And yeah, the, the steam roll, the steamboat of French rugby is, is, keep, is going to keep going. Have you managed to watch much of Wales in recent weeks? And what do you make of, what do you make of Wales? I have managed to watch a lot of Wales. And um, it's... Not fantastic from a personal point of view, but I think we need to be patient. The Welsh Republic needs to be very patient, need to calm down a bit. Wayne Pivak didn't have the best of starts, so he's at Scar- as a Scarlet's coach. Ended up winning a Pro 12 final and taking them to a Champions Cup semi-final. And also the way they played, Warren Gatland was there for 12 years. You can't change things overnight in Test Rugby, although people think so, people want it to happen. You need to be happy enough with the fact that Pivak's come in. He wants to play a bit more expansive. The way he played with the Scarlets where you've had loose forwards offloading forever in the park. I kind of that's what he wants to do, but it just takes time. and just needs to be patient. What do you think, Lawrence? There was a, a sort of thought in Wales that Pivak would come in and, and, and maybe free up, maybe bring that kind of brand of rugby that, that the Scarlets were playing where, you know, there was a lot more ball, maybe, you know, getting to the back three and, and just a lot more handling, a lot more offloading. I think as for all the points we've talked about on this pod, it's not quite as easy as that. Um, and going back to England and Eddie Jones, you know, before you're attacking, before you bring in your attacking game, the fundamentals of your game have to be good. And under Warren Gatlin, they were. 
I think under Wayne Pivak, those fundamentals have taken a bit of a setback, really. Defensively, they're not as strong as they were because they've lost Sean Edwards. Their set piece is not as good as it was, even though it was never great. If you don't have the fundamentals in your game, it doesn't matter what attacking game you want to try and bring in, you're going to really struggle. And I think, you know, first things first, they need to, they need to get back to basics and, and get their set piece sorted out, get their defence sorted out. And then the other parts of the game will, will come. I think the Welsh public seem to want it the other way around. They, they, they want the attacking flair back, maybe even some attacking flair that we never really saw fully flourish under Warren Gatland. But it, international rugby just does not work like that. So I think they're, they're struggling. I think they've got some selection issues, um, which they need to, you know, as any team does in transition, is, is the great Alan Wynne-Jones the man to take Wales forward. That's a statement, not a not, not a criticism in any way. They've got to make some decisions on that on that moving forward. And one or two other players, I think, in, in key positions. Is Reese Webb been brought back to be to, to be the main man? Or is, or you know, there's so many different options. You look at France, the reason they've been successful, one of the reasons is because they've suddenly realized that it really helps if you pick players in the right position and uh, and you keep your same halfbacks consecutively for a period of time. You know, Wales keep chopping and changing very, very hard creates the wrong message within the group. So I think Wales are, you know, a work in progress. But if I was a Welsh rugby fan, I'd worry about the basics of their game. They seem to have moved away from those. And it doesn't matter where you play. If you if you scrum, you line out, your defence, your restarts, all those things aren't working well, you're going to struggle. Lawrence, just a word on the Premiership. You were at the, new, the I think it's the 39th Premiership ground in, in Brentford mm. to watch London Irish win at the weekend. Newcastle have had a good start. What, what do you... What did you make of, of London Irish, of the new stadium and, and the start of the premiership season? Well, it's great for London Irish. As a West London boy myself, I'm, I'm slightly envious, really. I mean, I, I, obviously, I'm, I'm washed through and through. I was there 20 years, but all I ever wanted to do was play in West London. <laughs> and uh, we're now in Coventry, but that's, that's, that's life, you know. And, and I think London Irish were in danger of losing their identity. They were neither in London or full of anyone Irish. So... Uh, you know, what, I mean, what is the point of calling them London Irish? Now, I don't think they will, they will necessarily ever get the support that they should have from the Irish Rugby Union, which is a shame. But at least they're back in London. I think it's a great move for them. It's a fantastic stadium. Whatever the, whatever the commercial terms are with, uh, with the owner of Brentford, uh, they've got to be better than they were with, with, with Madejski at Reading. And look, they, they, they've got some, some, some very, very good players in that squad. You know, well coached. Les Kiss and Declan Kidney know what they're doing. So... I think it was a great start. It's a shame there were no fans there. It's great that they've got a a place that they can call home because, you know, I I remember the days of Sunbury and obviously they've been to Twickenham, they've been to the Stoop, they've been to the Majewski. They've been quite nomadic, probably even more nomadic than Wasps and Saracens. But at last they've got a home and uh, it was great to see them win. So I was was very impressed with them and I'm looking forward to going back there when when fans finally get there. Okay, it's it's, it's gone of the week time. Lawrence, have you got, got any thoughts? Well, whilst you've you've put our our two uh, esteemed guests on the spot, poor things, and now they've got to yeah. think about a goal of the week, I shall uh, I shall take the uh, take the high ground as much as I possibly can. And I mean, obviously, there's lots happening in the game, lots that's changing. But uh, I think the goal of the week has to go to one man, uh, Nigel Owens, who um, who made his hundredth uh, cap as a referee. Incredible man, uh, widely regarded as one of the best referees. There's been an outpouring of support, not just because of of his ability as a rugby referee, but just you know everything that he's done for the game and for himself. So I think he, he represents our God of the Week. I did say to him, I got dropped for my 50th cap. I said, so, <laughs> I said you've, you've actually made it to 100. He is my uh, God of the Week, Nigel Owens, and, and here's to many, many more test matches. 
Ben, sorry to put you on the spot like this. That's all right. Uh, uh, Yeah, I I couldn't beat Nigel Owens. I guess the one bit that is unfair, I guess, to say dross, but effectively what it is with ball being kicked all the time. Richie Moranga had just a beautiful dummy and go and then 50 yards down the field, which got me got me smiling. So it shows that, you know, you can still play on the front with a bit of flair. So he gets my goal of the week. Nice. Have you managed to think of one? Yeah, I think I'll go for Georgi Kresaladze, Georgia centre. Pronunciation should be fine, I think. His try against Ireland at Lansdowne Road was reminiscent of Brian Driscoll brightened up quite a dull Sunday and a dull weekend of rugby. It's him and then special mention also to Gabon Villiers, who also a nice try for 50 metres out in his test debut. Cool. Well, I'm going to go for our very own Lawrence Lallio as my God of the Week on, on the basis that I'm recording this in the room where my wife normally works. Just noticed she's propping up her computer screen with an edition of Lawrence Delalio, It's in my blood. So, uh, Lawrence, you, you can be you can rest assured that your book is going to to great use in our house at the moment. Well, it's very kind. It's very kind of you. You better just check that she's coloured it in correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Not so sure it ever won the literary prize awards, but thank you. <laughs> well, listen, gents, thank you so much for for joining. It's been um, a, a great conversation, a great a great episode, and, and here, let, let's hope that the final doesn't live down to our our expectations on on Sunday at Twickenham. And we'll talk next week and and, uh, and review that. Thank you all for for listening.